Here's what Philippians is all about. Why did Paul write to this little church? He wrote to them in order to say this. He said, Dear church at Philippi, you are a strong living church. You've partnered me in the gospel right from when you began. And all over the church in Philippi, Paul says to them, there's evidence of gospel life. But now he says to them, you're about to go through a difficult time. You're under pressure. And you need to be wise to that and to the risks of disunity. And in such a tough time, you've got to love one another, look to the interests of one another, imitate the Lord Jesus, stand together for the sake of the gospel through a tough time. It is, therefore, a letter that is very relevant to our circumstances. I, last week and today, want to tie what Paul says very particularly to our current circumstances. And then, over the course of the coming weeks, to broaden out the application of Philippians to all other areas of our life. But at this moment, I want us to be very relevant to our circumstances. Last week we looked at verses 1 to 11. Paul's very striking in how he begins the letter. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Not some of them, all of them. And then he says, later on in verse 4, in all my prayers for all of you, underlined. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have all of you in my heart. In the heart of this, Pastor Paul is every single person in that church at Philippi. Every member, every adherent, Every regular worshipper, whether you've been here for one year, two years, three years, or ten years, that's who Paul writes to in Philippi. There is no partisanship in the heart of Paul as their pastor, and there should be no partisanship in the heart of any minister for their church. Paul begins by thanking them for their partnership with him, and thanking the Lord for all the evidence of fruitfulness in their life as a church, He thanks God and then he prays for progress for them. This is my prayer. Paul says, this is my prayer as your minister for us. That our love for one another might abound. More and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that we might discern what is right to do. And be filled with the fruit of righteousness to the glory of God and to the praise of God. That is a great prayer to pray for a church at any time. It is a great prayer to pray for a church at a point in its life when it's under pressure. Three points. First, don't be surprised by tough circumstances. Don't be surprised by tough circumstances. Paul is a prisoner in Rome. He's in chains for Christ, the end of verse 13. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. 
The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. And yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is to gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But if it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body, convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. This is the word of God. Now, all of us have examples we aspire to, role models or inspirational figures or leaders. We watch what they do and we try to imitate them. If you're a golfer, my middle son and I, we try to perfect our swing on Justin Rose. He is the best. If you're a singer, well, I'll leave that to your preference who you aspire to. If you're a Christian, or a minister in particular, we do pretty well to watch and imitate the Apostle Paul. These verses give us a powerful insight into the heart of the Apostle. His single-minded gospel determination And there is no one more single-minded nor determined than him. Yet there is no one warmer or more pastoral or steadier or joyful than the Apostle. His circumstances here are tough, but he rejoices in the Lord. And we need to see that he really does. He's not saying we need to keep on rejoicing when it's hard. He really does rejoice in the Lord. He really does. And he prays that they will, we will too. Okay, first point at last. Don't be surprised by tough circumstances. Paul is a prisoner in Rome. Verse 13, he is in chains for Christ. Not languishing in chains in a dungeon. Um, He's probably under house arrest as a Roman citizen. Why? For Christ because of Christ, because of his convictions about the gospel, because of his single-minded determination to tell anyone he possibly can about the Lord Jesus, including the Gentile world, including the streets of Rome, including the palace guard, as we'll see. Now, behind everything the Apostle says about his experience here and elsewhere is an awareness that tough circumstances, suffering, if you like, for the sake of the gospel, is normal for the Christian. Tough circumstances are normal Christian experience. Jesus said that following him will not be easy. It's the first thing he said to the Apostle Peter, when Peter understood who he was. The Acts of the Apostles, we read in the history of the early church, The church finds itself in hot water all the time. Almost every New Testament letter, almost every one, written to churches experiencing tough circumstances, 
almost every New Testament letter written to say to them, don't be surprised, keep steady, keep strong. Almost every one of them saying to these churches, keep together. That's what they say. It's what Philippians says. Just glance forward to chapter 1, verse 29. It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Don't be surprised. Keep steady, stay together, guard your unity. And just above that in the letter, stand firm in one spirit, contending as one. Don't be surprised by tough circumstances. It is normal Christian experience. Now, surely Paul's circumstances then, and that of the church at Philippi, and that of our brothers and sisters in churches around the world in very different situations, surely their circumstances are very different to ours. They really are in chains for the gospel. We are not, and that is true, we are not, and we thank God for that, and we need to be real about this. There are many people in the world in chains for the gospel. But let's not think either that as Christians in the West, we are or will be exempt from tough circumstances. What is happening in our country, in the UK, is that we are shifting from a position of abnormality in terms of Christian experience to a position of normality. Since the Reformation, we have enjoyed hundreds of years of Christian strength, Christian culture, and to be a Christian in a culture has been easy. But if you read the Bible, our situation, historically that situation, is abnormal Christian experience. The times have changed. Here are two uh, statistics for you. Tier Fund International has classified Scotland as an unreached people group in the world church. Less than 2% of Scotland's population this morning will be in living gospel churches. 2% designates you as an unreached people group such that the world church is mobilised to send missionaries in numbers to that country. Of countries in the world where there is a substantial Christian presence, numerically, around 80 of them, Operation Mobilisation ranks the UK as the ninth lowest in terms of the growth of evangelicals in the world. The ninth lowest. Major denominational churches in the West are making decisions that would have been unthinkable a generation ago. It truly would have been unthinkable a generation ago that major churches would undermine basic teaching on issues like marriage. Britain today is a plural, I'm not saying this to alarm us, just true, a plural, multicultural, secular country. Christendom, established Christianity is gone. It's just gone. We are returning to normality in terms of Christian experience and we should not be surprised if we find ourselves in difficult circumstances. One of the big risks of the church in, in, our, in our country is will we be humble enough to accept an influx of missionaries from overseas? Will we be humble enough to admit that only 2% of people in our country are listening to the gospel on a Sunday? 
I hope so. Don't be surprised if things are difficult. Now, leaving a denomination as a church is not easy. It just isn't. It's a difficult decision. It puts us as a church into tough circumstances. We're under pressure. We are. And one aspect of that pressure that I feel very much as minister is our intention expressed of staying together as a church family through that process puts us under pressure. None of us, if we're honest here this morning, have found the last months easy, the discussions and the meetings, the different views, different perspectives on timing. But we've shared them. And we've done so graciously and we've listened and we've stayed together. And God will keep us together if we love one another, Philippians 1, look to the interests of one another, Philippians 2, respect one another. And and it's almost you get that sense in the apostle's heart, not just words or letters, but really do it. Really do it. Really do it because the risk of disunity is real. Don't be surprised. If things are tough, the word of God steadies us. Second point, expect the gospel to advance. In tough circumstances, expect the gospel to advance. If, according to the Bible, Jesus' teaching, the New Testament letters, the Acts of the Apostles, if, according to the Bible, tough times for Christians, for churches, is normal, equally according to the Bible, It is through tough circumstances that the gospel advances. There was nothing tougher than the Reformation 450 years ago to live through. But what a wonderful advance in the gospel. The last time there was a major movement away from big institutional churches in the middle 19th century, ten years later, there was the biggest movement of gospel progress in these islands. Tough Times advanced the gospel on the big scale and the little scale. Think of China. The expulsion of the missionaries who had all gone in led to an indigenous church. Tough times through the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s, and the 80s. But look at the gospel today. Tough times advance the gospel. They always have. And they always will. Uh, Paul uh, says that to them, verse 12, what has happened to me, he says, I know you're concerned for me, he says, but don't, don't, just listen. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. It's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else, I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak more courageously and fearlessly. Far from hindering the progress of the gospel, Paul's circumstances have advanced it. The palace guard in Rome consisted of 9,000 soldiers. Um, They were, uh, I guess, like uh, the the Queen's um, horse guards, whatever, in London. These special privileges looking after the most important people. Apparently, if you were in the palace guard, you got double pay. You got a good pension. But you also got to guard the Apostle Paul. And uh, you can just uh, sense behind all of this that whoever these people were, uh, maybe ten of them, six of them, whatever, guarding him each day, um, they just would not get a break. Do you know why I'm here? For Jesus. Do you know why we're going through this? For Jesus. Do you know why this is a, a hard time? 
First, the church, people ask you, people ask you about what's going on. Tell them why. Because of the gospel, the Bible, our commitment to that. Humanly speaking, you think, what an impact. That's, that's daft. But trust in the gospel. Trust in the Lord Jesus. What an impact Paul had on them. The whole palace guard, 9,000 of them, got to know about it. You see, what does this teach us? It teaches us the gospel is unstoppable. It can't be contained. Paul's courage gave others courage. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Now, reflecting back on the last couple of years as we've lived through this issue as a church, both internally in our church family and publicly, um, the gospel has advanced. Humanly speaking, you would not expect that to happen for these reasons. One, we are distracted from our work as a church. Humanly speaking, you would not expect that to happen because the issues we have had to deal with are complex and sensitive and difficult. But the gospel has advanced. Two examples. Friday night in here, impact 50 local teenagers. It is known in this community about this church, what is happening here. The gospel has advanced. Why? Because the gospel is supernatural. Or Tuesday night here, there were more people in here, I think, on Tuesday night than I think ever have been here. Or even this morning in this service, there are more people here than have ever been here. The gospel advances through tough circumstances. Now, you need to dust yourself down as I do. The next few months will not be easy. Will not be easy as we try to stay together, listening and loving. Be realistic, but be equally realistic about the potential of gospel advance. Every time you pray that we'll get through this together and for procedure, pray for conversions. Pray for Christians to grow. Pray that we'll grow numerically in the next five years such that we can plant churches in that part of the city where there are none. Don't be surprised if it's tough. But don't be surprised if the gospel advances powerfully through toughness. I'm really, really honest with you. I am totally exhausted and wearied by this process. It's draining in the extreme. The drain is our desire that we can hold together all that stuff. But I'm beginning in it all to become excited as we anticipate the future and the potential and progress for the gospel. I spoke earlier about gospel partnership in this city. There is amongst us as church leaders the complete absence of rivalry and a desire not to perpetuate the status quo, but to multiply churches across this city so that more than 2% can find their way to a community of faith on a sunny morning. The gospel advances through Paul's testimony He is excited about their future. I am excited about our future. Our elders are. Something else has happened though in Philippi or in Rome which is not so good. Verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry but others out of goodwill. 
The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can set up trouble for me while I am in chains. What does it matter? The important thing is that either way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of that is I rejoice. You know, what, what power there is in his testimony. Everybody's got a view about the Apostle Paul. As long as they preach Jesus Christ and his gospel, what do I care, says the Apostle Paul. He really doesn't. He's just glad. And what's Paul getting at here? Well, hard to be absolutely certain. What he's probably saying, I think, is there are two groups of people, maybe in Rome. Both groups are genuine Christians. Both groups proclaiming Jesus. Only one group doing it out of love for Paul. The others doing it out of envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, imagining he can stir up trouble for him. Maybe saying something like, that guy Paul's a gifted preacher, but he's a bit radical, a bit extreme. He's got himself in prison again. I, I often wonder if the Apostle Paul were a candidate for churches, how many churches would go for him. I often wonder just how welcome the Apostle Paul would really be. Something I always remember Dick Lucas saying, Dick, uh, an old man I worked with in London, he's, uh, he's a definitive wise old dog. And he said to me, brother, in his posh English accent, he would say, brother, rivalry is alive and well in the church today. Because he's right, isn't he? There's different congregations across Scotland come to terms with the situation in the Church of Scotland. There's different strategies are pursued. Some are leaving like us, some are waiting, some are staying long term. And we've worked through as ministers rivalry and regretted it. It's great. I've just been up at a conference of ministers and we're all in different positions in churches. Genuine gospel fellowship beginning to come again. One of the things we need to always remember to do through this process is conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Let me apply that to ourselves. If other churches are critical of what we are doing, and some are, if they're preaching Christ, let's rejoice in that. Let's do it. And then someone said this very wise thing to me, and I throw it out to you for the future. When we have left the Church of Scotland and our new church has begun, you know what a big danger is? We think we're really sorted. Spiritual arrogance and pride. Let's give no one any cause to think we think like that. If we behave properly, they will rejoice that Christ is proclaimed here and we will rejoice that Christ is proclaimed where they are. Don't be surprised by tough circumstances. Expect the gospel to advance. And lastly, what about us as individuals? What will this process do in us individually and together, apart from exhaust us or a few of us? Here's what it'll do. Clear convictions and joyful hearts. Tough times are tough. Tough times lead to gospel advance. Tough times lead to clear convictions and joyful hearts. There is just no evidence, when you read what Paul writes here, that he is in doubt and despair, quite the opposite. There is clarity, not doubt, certainty, not doubt, joy, not despair. 
Verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. What Paul is talking about is what his imprisonment will lead to. He'd either be freed so he can visit this church he loves again, or he'll die and be uh, with uh, Jesus. I, I do hope there's no literal application for me in this. You see what he's saying though? Just trust God. And uh, either way, he'll be delivered. That's his point. And then these marvellous words of testimony. Chapter 1, verse 21. These marvellous words in the heart of this letter. Paul says, For to me to live is Jesus, and to die is to gain. Clear convictions. Now, did the Apostle Paul know a thing or two about theology? He wrote Romans. It takes you a lifetime to master its depth and its complexity. But in the end of the day, it all boils down to this. Here's the Apostle. God's gift to the world church in terms of teaching us theology. To live is Jesus and to die is gain. While I am on the earth, I will live for him. And when I die, I'll be with him forever. That is how a church and a Christian should take. To live as Christ means to know the gospel, to guard the gospel, to tell the gospel, to be prepared to struggle for the sake of the gospel. And to die is to gain, reminds us that everything we do is born out of 10,000 times 10,000 years of eternity with the one who gives us the gospel. Live like that and you'll be steady. It's very striking this week when I Skyped our mission partners around the world just to assure them as to the future and them of us. You speak to people in a country like China and you see this thing coming alive as you see them. Their confidence, their simplicity, their trust in the Lord Jesus. For to me to live as Christ, to die is to gain. And live like that and we'll know real joy and real purpose. Real joy. Real joy. And that is beginning to come into our hearts. Tough times, advance the gospel, clarify our convictions, fill our minds and hearts with joy in Jesus. We've come through a tough time. There are tough days ahead. There are exciting days ahead. What God might do as we look to the future together. But let me finish with the keynote of Philippians. Be vigilant. Be careful. Love one another. Look to the interests of one another. Keep together. Guard your unity. Stand firm in one spirit for the truth of the gospel. Let's pray to that end. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your living word. We thank you for its relevance to our circumstances. Always, but perhaps sometimes in a very pertinent and a very real way, we pray, Lord Jesus, that we would not be surprised if things are tough. Keep steady. That we would not be surprised and indeed expectant for the gospel to advance in significant ways in our lives, in our community and beyond. And grant to us, in and through it all, clear, simple convictions. To live is Jesus and to die is to gain. And give us Joyful hearts, not false joy, but supernatural Christian joy and confidence and steadiness 
in the Lord. And help us, Lord, to love one another abundantly, to look to the interests of others, to care for one another, to respect one another, to stay together. And Lord, we put the present and the future into your hands. In Jesus' name. Amen.